I don't know. Well, I think it's the other people have decided to shift a little bit. I don't know. I don't know. All right, so let's get rolling this morning. So, who would like to pray for us? And uh, we'll jump in to part three of our message today. Caleb. All right, Caleb's going to pray for us. Okay, Sam. Father, Lord, thank you for this day. And just thank you that we got to meet here today and everyone got here safely. And just speak through Stephen and let him have a good message. Amen. Amen. Wow, it's not very convincing, but... It doesn't have to be. It just has to be from the heart. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got saved, right? Sorry. <laughs> All right. All right. Moving on. All right. So we are we're we're gonna we're gonna finish this lesson out uh, today um, with the the heart of evangelism. We okay back there? Good. Keep going. All right. That's <laughs> good. When I see things flying across the room, I tend to stop what I'm doing to see what's happening. Okay. All right, so we've been talking about the heart of evangelism, and this is one that um, has been uh, just very good for me, personally, just going back and remembering some things about my walk with God. I hope that it has been a help to you. Um, but if we're really going to do the work of the Lord, uh, which the work of the Lord entails two things, what are they? Discipleship and evangelism. If we're going to be telling lost people how to get saved, and if we're going to take people that are saved and help them to grow in their walk with God, then you have to fall in love with the Lord. That is the very first step. You can't... Any time in my life where I have seen my Christian walk struggle, it's because I have left my first love. I have, I have forgotten why God died for me. I have forgotten that He did die for me. I have forgotten um, just all... Here, here's a good first for it. Let's just go over, to, go over to 1 Peter. Go over to 1 Peter. I think it's first. I want you to see this verse as we kind of... As I was talking, it kind of popped into my head. It tells it way better than I can even... Scratch that. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. Now we've looked at this before. Um, these are the stages of spiritual growth according to Second Peter chapter one. But it ends with something that just popped into my mind. Uh, and so Second Peter chapter one, it talks about in uh, verse five. And beside this, uh, after getting after getting saved, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, which means ever-increasing, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind. Present tense. Is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. When you forget what Christ has done for you, and you have forgotten the price that was paid for you personally, then you are going to shrink in your spiritual walk. There's just no other choice. And you, you go back and you look at that, adding to your faith, virtue, virtue, knowledge, knowledge, temperance, all the way down, and if these things be in you and abound, you will be fruitful. You're not going to be barren. You're going to yield results that will glorify God. That will happen. So if your life is in a position where you are not bearing fruit, like Bobby was talking about a couple weeks ago, it's because you have forgotten. You have forgotten about the gospel. You have forgotten about God. You have forgotten about who you are, who you are redeemed in Him, in Christ. You have forgotten. And you need to go back and you need to remember. And this is why I love 2 Peter, because this is what Peter was doing. He even said these things in verse 10. He says, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it is meet as long as I, I am in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. So he does this over and over again because even though you might know some of these things, we forget. And all of us forget. All of us. There isn't a single Christian alive that has not struggled in their Christian walk at some point in every single season. You need to go back and you need to remember. And this helps me more than anything else. When I struggle with things, when I struggle with, with reading, with witnessing, with um, just being faithful, with wanting to serve with a right heart attitude, with anything, anything you can name it in Christianity, when I struggle, I must go back to the basics and I have to remember. 
I have to. And if I am not willing to, then I will continue to struggle. And it really is that simple. It really, really is. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to go back and we're trying to remember some of these things. And maybe for some of you, you've never gone back to remember these things and you've been struggling. Well, the stuff we've been talking about on Sundays and Wednesdays should really help you out with a lot of that. Okay, so just as a quick review. So if you are going to love the Lord, which is the key to serving Him with all your heart, doing what He's asked you to do, glorifying Him with the moments that He's given you, then you have to have a different perspective of God. You have to. On a daily basis, you need to remember that God wants to talk with you, He wants to be with you, and He's waiting for you. Like He's waiting for you. He's waiting for you to go and spend time with Him. That's what Exodus 24 is. He tells Moses that. Come up to the mount and be there, and I will meet with thee there. This is what He told Moses, and it's what He tells you guys devotionally as well. Every single day, if you could just remember every single day that God is waiting for you, it will help you. It will help you to get into your Bible when you don't want to. It will help you to pray when you're just not feeling like it. I've given you the illustration before when I was working out with Jake until he had a baby and had to, you know, just stop meeting and stop working out, whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but I remember there are some mornings that I woke up in the morning and I'm like, oh, I don't want to go today. But then I remembered he's waiting for me. And I can't just, just stand him up. I can't do that. I mean, I could, but that's a jerk move. I'm not going to do that. But yet spiritually, we'll do that to the Lord. He's waiting for you, and yet we stand him up all the time. We should not do that. We should give him our best. So your perspective of God must change, and I know that's what happened in my life. And again, I do struggle with it still, but I have to go back and I have to remember these things. And that's why I shared some of those core verses with you. And then last week we talked about that when your perspective of God changes, that you will pray and you will depend on the scriptures more. And we took a journey through Psalm 119 and we saw all the different things that changed in David's life as a result of his relationship with the Lord. And so I'm hoping that that was a good reminder to you guys. But that's huge. When you... When you love God and God loves you and you know that you need Him more than anything else, then the way you read the Bible will even just be completely different. The way you pray will be completely different. And we're talking about a real relationship. The same as if you'd be talking to somebody else face to face. And you will pray more and you will depend on the Scriptures more. The Scriptures become more than just the Bible. It becomes everything. It becomes your life. It becomes your wisdom. The only place you get wisdom. It, it, it's the place where you can only get discernment. That there's no other place. Yeah, you can get someone else's feedback and opinion about a certain matter. But when you go to the God's Word and you see, what did God say about how I should behave in this circumstance? It changes everything. And God's words mean more to you. It, it, it carries more weight than anybody else that you could ever talk with face-to-face on this earth. That's what we're talking about. Because we don't follow people... We follow the Lord. And if any person is in a position of leadership within a church and they want you to listen to them and they can't go to the scriptures and tell you why they should listen to you in that matter, then run. Get away from them. Because it doesn't matter what they have to say. It doesn't matter what their opinion is. What did God say about it? And if you don't know your Bible well enough to figure some of that stuff out, then get discipled. And go to someone who's a little bit more mature than you that can show you how to actually read and study your Bible better. It will help you. It will save your life. It will save your life. So when your perspective of God changes, you will pray and you will depend on the Scriptures more. And then now, this week, we're going to hit these last two check marks. You will walk with the Lord and gain more of His heart. Let's look at these verses together. Romans 8. Romans 8. Romans 8, verse 29. Romans 8, verse 29. <clears throat> All right, give me a reader. Go ahead, Carson. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. All right, Calvinists robbed this verse from everyone. Uh, this verse is powerful. It is amazing. And so what this is saying, let's just break it down very, very shortly, very succinctly. For whom he did foreknow. God knew ahead of time who was going to be saved and who wasn't. Not because He decreed it, but because He knew the decisions of every human being. He knows the decisions we're going to make. 
and he knows and he has planned for every variable. That's why he's God. He knows, he knows everything. He knows that out of 10 different options, he knows if you choose one, that this is the way your life is going to go and how everyone else's life is going to be impacted if you make that decision. Two, that way. Three, that way. Four, that, every, every, that's how God works. I love how God is. He's amazing. He knows every option that you may or may not choose and the following consequences and how that will impact everyone else in your life and the decisions that they also are going to make. I mean, talk about exponential. I mean, this is like just infinity. And that's God. And so here it says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate those that he knew would trust Christ their Savior. He did predestinate. I mean, just predestination. He knows where he wants them to be at the end of the line. To be conformed to the image of his Son. This is what God wants for every believer. Every person that trusts Jesus as their Savior, he wants them and he desires and he will make it happen one way or another. He wants them to be conformed into the image of His Son. Now, this should make sense. This should make sense. Because who is better than Jesus? I know it. Not a single human being is better than Jesus. And so He is the best. And if God wants the best for you, would He not want you to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. And so when you look at Jesus in the Bible, He is the perfect picture of what your life is supposed to look like and who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to love and how you're supposed to just behave in every circumstance. And God wants you to be conformed into His image. And so what happens the moment you get saved is that He wants you to walk with Him because as you walk with God, you start to take on more of His characteristics. If you really walk with Him, not like your own definition of walking with God and then you kind of are with... No. no, when you walk with God, you walk according to His pace, according to His rule, according to His speed, according to everything, according to His standard. You have to change the way that you walk in order to walk with God. He's not changing His walk with you. He does it, I guess, in a way, because He's gracious and He's patient. But God does not change His walk in order for you to catch up with Him. He wants you to walk at His pace. He wants you to walk with Him. And so you must change. You have to change. If a Christian is born again and they do not change, then that's why I challenge, are they even saved to begin with? Because if you are born again, the Spirit of God is living inside of you, and things will start to happen in your life that your life and God, they won't, they're not compatible. Like, it's, it's just not, it's not possible. You can't take your walk and God's walk and expect there to be peace all the time because we're sinners. And so you have to be willing to say, all right, God, I need to change my ways in order for me to really walk with you. And this is why most Christians, just they fail in their walk with God because they're not willing to change. They're not willing to let their life be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. They don't want it to be that way. And there are many reasons why. It could be selfishness. It could be the fact that they love their sin too much. It could be the fact that they just want to be their own God. They don't want God to dictate who they are and what they're supposed to do and what they're not supposed to do. There's, there's so many reasons. And this is where the Spirit of God just convicts each person accordingly. But this is the absolute truth. So He wants you to be conformed to the image of His Son. And when you walk with God, you must change. Your life will change. And you will gain more of God's heart when you do it the right way. So my question is, are you walking with God properly? Because if you're walking with God properly, think back over the course of the last week, two weeks, three weeks. Your life should be changing. And it should be less of you and more of Him. should be. Again, we struggle, and we can go backwards, like Pastor Tom talked about even, I think it was last week. We can take two steps forward and one step back, and some of us take five steps forward and 20 steps back, and God is still gracious and He is still patient, but when you walk with God, your life will change for the better, and you will be more godly. You will. Let's go over to 1 John 2. 1 John 2. First John chapter two. First John two, somebody read verse six. First John two, verse six. Sam. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Okay, very simple. I love verses like this in the Bible. 
Very black and white, very plain. Do you say that you are in a relationship with God? Do you say, I am a Christian? Do you say in your life that I go to church? I love God. I am born again. I am saved. Okay. If you say that, and if you live that way, then you are abiding in Christ. That's kind of the whole idea, is that you are in Him and He is in you. You are abiding in Him. So, he that saith he abideth in Him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Huh! Go figure! I mean, this is why I love the Bible, and it's so convicting. Do I love God? Yes, I love God. Okay, are you walking like Him? Ooh! Ouch! No. There's this area of my life that I am just really struggling in. And there's this... Oh, and there's... Okay, and then you know what I do when that happens in my life? I pray about it. God, I am just... When I look at my life and who I am, this is an area that I'm just really struggling in, and I don't know why I'm just struggling so bad with it. And I know that you want me to be conformed to the image of your Son, and I know that I'm your ambassador, and I need your help with this. And I'm spending more time in His Word, and I'm talking to Him about it. It really is that simple. It's being honest with God about it. And I love books like 1 John that are so black and white, it like smacks you in the face. If you say you abide in Him, then you should walk as He walked. How did He walk? Read your Bible. Find out. What did He do? How did He have compassion on people that were without compassion? How did He treat people that thought that they were self-righteous and the religious leaders? What did He do in this circumstance and that circumstance? Why did He do? The Gospels are a treasure trove of, of just characteristics that should be happening in your life. I love this verse. This is a good one. And speaking of abiding, we got to go to John 15. Go to John 15. Can't get past this one without going to John 15. Where God gives a great illustration of what it really means to abide. John 15, verse 4 and 5. We'd like to read that. 4 and 5. Go ahead. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no work can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I am the same bringing forth much fruit, for without me you can That last phrase of verse 5 really sticks with me. For without me ye can do nothing. And what I love about the Bible is it's, it's such a complex book. What does nothing mean? Nothing. Like, nothing. If you were to go back to the Greek, guess what it means? Nothing. It means nothing. <laughs> That's why I love the Bible. Nothing. Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Do you really believe that? Like, do you really believe that without Jesus Christ, you can't do anything? It's the truth. Do you live that way? Does a verse like that really echo in your heart and you really realize... Without Christ, I can't, I, can't do, I can't do anything. I can't have a good attitude. I can't, I can't pick the right friends. I can't pick my future career without Him. I can't, I can't even consider who I should date or marry without Jesus and His opinion. I, I, can't, I can't do anything. If you're someone who you have that kind of mindset that I can't do anything without Him, then man, you're going to be praying. You're going, to be in, you're going to be in the Bible. Because you literally can't do anything without Him. I mean, you can do stuff in life without Him, but it's not going to go well. I, 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 I could even go through just different circumstances in my life where, you know, in my mind, one of the struggles that I have is I can be very analytical. And so there are times that I can think through a circumstance and I can foresee what the best decision is going to be and what the best outcome is going to be in this circumstance, whatever it is. And I can go and then I can go and do it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I never talked to God about it. Like that's one of the struggles that I have. And so now I need to stop myself. So even though I might come up with a plan, come up with a strategy, and, and be able to say, okay, I think this is the best way to go, I need to stop myself. I have to purpose in my heart to stop myself and say, okay, God, this is how I see this working out. But I need you to make this clear. I need you to be the one to really drive this. Is there something that I'm missing? I can only see things from my perspective, and I know that I don't see everything. 
I try to see everything. I think that I see everything and everything that's involved, but I can't do this without you. My goodness. If I would have done that more in my life, it would have gone way better. Way better. And I'd have a lot less regrets. He gives the illustration here of a branch in a vine. This is how God sees his relationship with you and how you need to see your relationship with him. You are the branch. If you are born again, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior, you are the branch. Jesus is the vine, and he is always the vine. The amazing thing is, is that where does fruit get produced? On the vine or on the branch? On the branch, not on the vine. So the branch must be in the vine, because through the vine, you have the life-giving sustenance that goes out to the branch in order to bear the fruit. What's amazing to me, and this has always amazed me when I think about it, if God is the vine, which He is, just Jesus is God, He cannot bear fruit. He has chosen to set this whole thing up in such a way that He doesn't bear fruit. He's not the one that bears the fruit. Have you ever thought about that? If there's anybody that I think would be, do the best job of bearing fruit, it would not be moi. Or y'all. <laughs> That's like French and hick. I would, not, I, would, it wouldn't, I would not set it up that way. I think that Jesus would be the best one. God would be the best one to bear the fruit. He knows what kind of fruit he wants. He knows what size he wants it to be. He knows what he wants the quality to be. He knows all that stuff. Why doesn't God just do it? He hasn't done it that way. That is a mystery to me. It really is. It is an absolute mystery to me. He is trusting and entrusting the power of fruit bearing to you and to me. And the key is, is that you must abide in Him. You can't take a branch and yank it out of the tree and say, Hey, this is going to grow apples over the course of the next two months. You're like, yeah, you moron. What are you thinking? You can't do that. It's got to be in the tree. And yet Christians will live like that. Oh yeah, I've, I've, I'm bearing tons of fruit. Okay, then why does your relationship with God say completely opposite? You're not even plugged into Him whatsoever. How can you do that? <clears throat> the Spirit of God is convicting you to do things, and you're not doing them. You're not spending any time in the Bible. You're not praying to Him at all, and yet you're bearing fruit? Okay, so are you manufacturing this fruit on your own? And is that fruit that actually glorifies God? Because God said it completely otherwise. You must abide in Him. And you cannot glorify God without bearing much fruit. Take a look at verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Fruit is the proof of a true disciple. The fruit that you bear. And it's not just how many times you've witnessed to somebody or how many times you've been to church or how many times you've marked that I've read this passage today. There are so many religious people that do that. You know, that is like one of the, the standards of Jehovah's Witnesses. How many doors can they knock on to try to invite people to come to their church and how many pamphlets can they give out? That is their fruit. That doesn't glorify God. What glorifies God? Okay. That starts there. That's part of abiding. Your heart. Your heart? How so? Your attitude and your motivation behind your actions. Yep, for sure. Come on. How do you glorify God? If you can't answer this question, then you're not glorifying God. How do you glorify God? Yep. Yeah. How else? Yep. Worshiping Him, which means you're doing what He wants you to do over what you want to do. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Being a good testimony. Yeah. Okay, let me give you let me ask you a question. Does it mean being perfect? No, not at all. Go over to John 17. This is a verse I wasn't planning on. Just kind of popped into my head. John 17, verse 10. So Jesus is praying to God. He's talking about his disciples here, and he says, And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am glorified in them. So he's talking about his disciples. So what did his disciples do? Well, based on the context, back it up a little bit. Verse 6. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. 
So he evangelized and he preached the word of God unto them. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Okay, so the first step here of glorifying God is that when you hear God's word, you keep it. You keep it. It becomes a part of you. So much so that you actually end up living it out. You keep it. And when anything comes against God's word, you stand against that. If anything comes against God and His character, you stand up for God and you correct and make sure that that's right. Okay, so you got that one. And then, verse 8. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst sent me. So they received God's word, and they believed it, and it produced action in their life. Okay, so let's make this super, super simple. To glorify God, you hear God's word, you keep it, and then you live it out. You believe what God has said, and then you do something about it. If you open your Bible on a daily basis, or you come to church on a Sunday and a Wednesday, and you hear God's Word, and it makes no difference to you whatsoever, you are not glorifying God. You can't. It is impossible. It is absolutely impossible. Glorifying God's Word, it comes to this. You hear it, you live it out. That's what you do. And that's how you glorify God. And God says, Jesus says here about His disciples, I am glorified in them. When that takes place, you say, you know what? I'm done with me. I'm done with my ways. And I need to adopt God's ways. And that's why when you walk with God, you gain more of His heart. And you lose more of your heart. That's what freaks people out, frankly. So, one of the great examples of this, honestly, was... Um, you know, this past week, uh, there's a couple... I love parenting. I love it and I hate it at the same time. Uh, I know that it was invented in the mind of God because I would have never done it this way. Um, but there are so many times as a parent, you've got two choices. I can either lay down and compromise and no longer stand up for what I believe is godly in this circumstance and let my kid do whatever they want. Or I can say, no, I'm holding the line on this issue and they need to conform unto my will. Now, you have to pick your battles because there's some times where it's not worth the fight. But a lot of times, especially when you have strong-willed children, like mine, I have to do that. So this past week, all right, so I got, I got Lucas. And Lucas is, is, is definitely my challenge because he thinks way differently than me. And so it helps me. And I, and I find myself using illustrations of my parenting with my son so much because God uses him more in my life than anybody else in my house. And what I love about this kid is that he, whatever he thinks, whatever he feels, it just comes out. And I like that because then I know where he's at. But at the same time, it hurts really bad. And so there was a circumstance that was unfolding and he was like so frustrated because I wanted it this way and he wanted it that way. And I'm, I'm working through this. I'm like, dude, we can't, we can't keep doing this. And so I'm like, okay, so tell me, why do you want to do this? Or why are you frustrated with what I have to say? He's like... And he finally said it. Like, he finally said it. It clicked. He's like, because I think my way is better. And I'm like, exactly. That's my point. You think your way is better, that you're not willing to trust me in my way and what I have to say about this circumstance. And in order for you and I to have fellowship together, you have to abandon what you think is best, and you have to do what I say regardless of what you think or how you feel. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, God, this is like a huge spiritual lesson that most people are never willing to learn. And this is why Hebrews 12 it talks about how God chastens His children and that He loves His children. And so there are times where God's will is here, your will is here, and they're going to be at odds together. And it's going to be frustrating in your Christian walk. And what God is wanting you to come to the place of honesty in your heart is to say, God, I think my way is best. And God's like, exactly, that's the problem. You think you know best when I'm God. And I know you. And I know the end from the beginning, from the beginning to the end. And I know what is best. And would you please just yield and submit to me and do what I ask you to do. And your life will be so much better. I can't tell you how many times as a father that point of tension happens in my family. With my kids. And things go great when they submit. And when it doesn't, it gets heated. And I have to, I have to hold the line because 
I need to teach them. And, I, and I've told him this. I said, if you're not going to listen to me, then how in the world are you ever going to listen to the Lord? If you're not going to abandon what you think and feel to obey a father that you can see face to face, how in the world are you going to do that with a father that you can't see? And it starts to click, but man, it is like a wrestling match week in and week out. And I know it's worth it. I know it is. But and then I turn around and I'm thinking, God, I do the exact same thing to you. I do the exact same thing to you. Why do I do this? When you walk with God, it requires you to yield and to give up yourself and adopt more of God's ways. That's the only way this is going to work out. Go to Hebrews 12, and then we'll move on to the next point. Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12. All right. I love this verse. I did it because of verse 29, but then I backed it up to verse 28 because I felt like I needed that more. Okay. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Someone read that for me. Andrew. Wherefore we receive in a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is consuming fire. All right, I'm going to work my way backwards to this one. Okay, so the more you walk with God, the more of His heart you're going to gain. Because verse 29, God is a consuming fire. When you walk with God and knowing that He is a consuming fire, what does fire do? It destroys things. It burns things up. What else does it do? It warms you. I typically be, I'm very cold and I like warm things, generally. What else does it do? Provides light. It cooks food. <laughs> There's one big one that we're forgetting. Yeah. It spreads. Yeah. That's good. Come on. It did what? It destroys. Yeah, we got that one already. Yeah. Yes, purifies. It purifies. It destroys things that can't handle it, right? And it purifies things that can handle the heat. And it takes out those impurities. So this is what God does. All those things you guys mentioned, this is what your relationship with God should be doing. It should be spreading. It should provide warmth. It should provide sustenance. It should burn out stuff that can't handle the heat. God's holiness. So anything that's unholy, it won't make it. And it purifies. And we're going to talk about purifying next. But this is what it does. Okay, so if that's true and you walk with God, that should happen. So in order to walk with God, now let's back it up to verse 28, you must have godly fear and reverence. If you do not have godly fear and you do not respect God, you'll never rise to His standard. Because you won't respect Him enough. You won't respect God enough and fear Him enough to walk with Him. There's always a little element of, and we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks, there's always an element of, I know one day I'm going to see my Lord face to face and He's going to call my life out on the carpet. That scares me. And so, I'm, you know what? I know I'm not feeling it today. I don't care. I'm looking at that day where I'm going to see my Lord and He's going to call my life into account and say, hey, what did you do with what I gave you? From the moment that you were saved, I gave you your eternal life and I gave you spiritual gifts. What did you do with them? Uh, well, I was too selfish and self-centered and I love this world too much. I did nothing. I don't want to say that. How can I say that? How can I say that to the Savior that died for me? That bled and died for me? That took the wrath of God on my behalf? As if he committed those sins himself. How can I do that to him? And so then that causes me to love him out of fear. So it starts with fear. But then I start to love him because I remember what he's done for me. And then I'm like, all right, what am I doing? Why am I having this pity party? Forget this. Why am I, why do I love this world? This world's going to burn up. It doesn't even mean anything anyway. My life's going to come to an end here at some point. I don't know when, but I know it's going to come to an end. And none of this stuff's even going to matter. Why do I care so much about it? All right, God, I need to change how I'm thinking. I need to change my perspective. I need to start getting more of your heart. This is what it's talking about. Okay, so we need to serve Him acceptably with reverence and godly fear. So if you're going to do that, if you're going to walk with God, and that fire is going to consume stuff and change who you are, you have to have godly fear, and you have to have reverence so you can serve Him acceptably. 
And it says, just backing up from there, let us have grace, because it's going to require grace, and God is very gracious to us. But look at the motivation behind it. Verse 28, at the very top. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. It cannot be moved. Do you believe the Bible? Do you believe what this says? You have received a kingdom that cannot be conquered. It cannot be moved. It cannot be shaken. I don't care what this world does. I don't care what the enemies of God do. It cannot move. Do you know what kind of confidence that you should have as a believer? In that truth alone? The confidence that you should have to serve God and to carry out His will because His kingdom cannot be moved. It can't. Now, we can be moved, and we can be afraid, and we can be scared, but God is none of those things. And that will not exist in His economy. So you as a born-again believer, I don't care how many times you've failed, get your butt up and get to work. Yeah, so what? You've messed up a trillion times in the past. Yeah, great. Do you know that that's why you needed a Savior to die for you? Do you understand that God has given you a kingdom that cannot be moved? So get up and get at it. Why? What's with all the excuses? Why do we do this? I love that verse. I love it. We've received a kingdom that cannot be moved. So let's serve Him acceptably with reverence and fear. For our God is a consuming fire and He's going to set everything right one day. You've got to have this mindset. And see, if I never got into the Bible, this verse would not mean anything to me. I wouldn't remember stuff like this. And it wouldn't help me day in and day out. And so I need the Scriptures. I need to get in it. So when you walk with God, you gain more of His heart. And as this verse talks about, with God being a consuming fire and purifying, that's our last point here. You will be purified in your life. Let's go over to 1 John 3. 1 John 3. A little bit to your right. 1 John 3. First John 3, verse 3. Someone read that one. First John 3, 3. Go ahead. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Actually, you know what? Read verse 2 and verse 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like, and we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Okay. So the key to purity is right here, is that it comes from hope. Every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Well, what is that hope? Verse 3, or verse 2. Beloved, now we are the sons of God. Are you born again? You are the son of God. And it doth not yet appear we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, and he will, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. On that day, when we see Jesus Christ, everything is going to be very, very clear. Very clear. Like, can you imagine that day? Like, the day is finally here. The day is finally here, and He's coming in the clouds. And as the Bible talks about, we've talked about the rapture before, He comes in the clouds, and what's going to happen? We hear a trumpet. But it's not just a trumpet. That trumpet's going to make a sound. And what's that sound? Your name. He's going to call you out by name. And when he calls you out by name, it's going to start with the dead first that are in the ground. And they're going to resurrect from the ground and fly up into the air. And then those that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And you're going to see him face to face. Can you imagine that day? It's going to be incredible. Now when you think about that day, even in this moment, why do we worry about so much crap? Why do we care about the opinions of people so much? Why? Why do we hold on to the sin that doth so easily beset us? Imagine looking into the eyes of your Savior on that day. That is an incredible day. The closest that you can get to that day is what we're doing right now. And what are we doing? We're opening up the Bible, reading it, and believing it. This is the closest to the face of Jesus Christ that you will ever get. 
when you crack open your Bible and you read what it says and you believe it, it brings a sobriety to your heart and mind that purifies your life. Like it actively, like right now, like right now there is junk in my life that no longer has a hold on me because I just read God's Word, I believed it, and I don't want anything to do with that nonsense. Can you say the same thing? Or am I in this alone? I mean, this is what I'm talking about. This kind of stuff where you open God's Word on a daily basis and you read it and you believe it. And it's as if you're seeing Him face to face. And when that happens, all these things melt away. And you don't struggle. So you struggle with sin? Okay. You know what you need to do? Get into God's Word and believe it. You need to pray to God about it. That's what you need to do. There's no, like, magical recipe. There's no, you know, six steps to this, twelve steps to that. There's none of that. Get into the book, read it, and believe it. And it will change your life. It will change your life. And if you feel like I'm speaking a foreign concept to you, then you might not be saved this morning. But it will purify your life. It will purify your life. Go over to 2 Peter again. 2 Peter chapter 3, and we'll end here. 2 Peter 3. A little bit to your left. Verse 14 is our focus. We're going to back it up a little bit just because the context on this one is just very powerful. 2 Peter 3. Alright, and um, verse 4. Alright, so there's a lot of people in the world today that believe this. These scoffers that walk after their own lust, according to verse 3, and they say this in verse 4, and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they are willingly ignorant of. These guys, these people that say this, they are willingly ignorant of these things, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we'll just pause there for a second. So these people that say, hey, where's the promise of His coming? They're ignorant of what's happened before. And by the way, this is not talking about Noah's flood. This is not talking about Noah's flood. I'll just leave that with you. It's talking about a day where the entire world perished. And not just the world, but the entire universe perished in water. It says the heavens and the earth standing in the water and out of the water. That's what it's talking about. So everything, the whole of creation was destroyed by water. And now it says that the whole of creation is going to be destroyed by fire. So it's talking about judgment. And it says that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, because He has promised He's going to come back. He has promised these things are going to unfold, but is long-suffering to usward, to us, because He doesn't want us to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. And then it explains what's going to happen on that day where everything's set on fire. But the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. An entire nuclear reaction that takes place with a loud noise, and all the elements are melting. Verse 11, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, as the conclusion of all this, Beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. That's what we're supposed to do. This is why I say all the time, this world is not our home. That we are not supposed to feel comfortable here at all. There's coming a day where all that you see, everything, the world system, the world stuff, everything, everything, and all, not just earth, but out in space, and even all of it is going to be completely burned up. All of it. 
And so if we believe that, what kind of people should we ought to be? Living for this world or the next one? It will change everything. So when you walk with God, you gain more of His heart, and your life will be purified. Okay, so here's the challenge. Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5. i got some blanks in here for you. If this is something that you've struggled with, or something that you have a hard time, then this is what you've got to do. And I've already mentioned this a little bit earlier. He says this to the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2. He says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. And so here's what you need to do. Your first blank. You need to remember. You need to remember. Therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. You need to remember, you need to repent, and you need to do the first works. So what does that look like? What does that look like? It's a very simple. We already talked about remember. Remember who you are. As a sinner that needs a Savior. A John 15, 5, I can't do anything without you, Lord. I need to remember. I've fallen from that spot of that fellowship with you. I need to remember that I need you now more than ever. And if you're going to really do that, your remembrance will then lead into repentance. And what does that mean? What does repentance mean? Come on. What does repentance mean? Yeah. To turn away from something to something else. Okay. So to turn away from something to something else. But if you're going to turn away, what causes that action? You're headed down this road and you're going to repent. You're going to turn. What causes you to turn? Nothing? Regret can. Yeah? You make the decision. Yes, you have to make a decision. And it could be rooted in regret or guilt or conviction. But you have to make a decision, which means you have to... Admit. Admit... But you can admit it and still keep going, can't you? Come on. What causes the action? What causes the action of... If you're having a hard time with this, maybe it doesn't exist in your life very well. Think about your life. It's what I explained with Lucas in the story that I gave you. Confess. Confessing it? But you can still confess and still keep going, can't you? Okay, so what causes? What causes the change? Understanding, and you can understand it, but then you have to believe it, which means if you believe it, you you act on it. You submit. You have to change. You have to have a change of heart and a change of mind. You have to. If you can admit all day long. You can feel guilty. You can feel conviction all day long. You can, you can keep going down that road and be like, oh, I'm so terrible. I'm such a bad sinner. But you're still going down that path. And so you have to come to a spot where you're like, I'm done. I'm done. I have to change my mind on this. I can't, I can't keep walking this way. I can't keep taking my head and smacking it into the wall and saying, this hurts so bad. Why do I do this all the time? Stop doing it. That's really what it requires. You have to have a change that, re- that is associated with action. If you really believe it, then you won't keep going the way you're going. You will stop what you're doing and you will change because you truly believe it. Because you have a change of heart and a change of mind. And you will repent. That's what repentance is. And it's very simple. And it has nothing to do with your emotions. Nothing. You can feel grieved or guilty or, or you, can, you can feel sad but there are people that are grieved, guilty, convicted, sad that still keep doing it over and over and over and over again. That's happened in my life. My life only changed when I said, God, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. And I need your help to keep me on this path, but I'm, I'm not going to keep acting. And my life had to change. You can't expect to keep doing the same thing over and over and over and glorify God. You can't do it. So you have to remember, repent, and do the first works. Do it. If you struggle in your Christian walk, 
you cannot wake up tomorrow morning and do the same things. You can't. I mean, you can. But if you really want to remember, repent, and do the first works, you cannot live out the rest of your moments today the same. You cannot wake up tomorrow and do the same things. You have to change. You have to change. If you really want to walk with God, you must do things differently. You have to. Or else you won't. You won't. And I'm telling you, the motivating factor behind my life changing is that day that I see the Lord face to face. And I get to have a little moment of that every day here. And it helps me. And it's not easy, but it gets easier. It gets easier. So are you willing to love the Lord? Because if you're not willing to love the Lord, you will never love the lost. You won't. And that's where we're going to go next. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together today. I pray that you would help us to really um, believe these things and act upon them. That our life would change and that we would be different people because you're worthy of it. And so, Father, we just want to lay all these things at your feet. And I pray if there's anything in, in particular that is just going on in the hearts and minds of the people in the room, that they would be willing to deal with these things. And if they don't know how, that they would talk to one of us. But more importantly, they would talk to you. And so help us to be different people. We love you. We thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.